Well, if you would please turn in a copy of God's Word to uh, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd be happy to provide you one. The text is also uh, in your bulletin. I will say, too, that we have over the years bought some ESV large print Bibles for students um, who are graduating from the 6th to 7th grade. And we probably have five or six that uh, never, the the student uh, was no longer engaged with the church by the time that we got them printed. So if you would like one of these Bibles, it has someone else's name on it. Uh, But it's a great uh, large print edition of the ESV. If you'd like one of those, reach out to me, let me know, and I'd be happy to provide one. I hate just for them to sit on the shelf. Today we're looking at Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Father, for unction and anointing. For your help as we seek to draw near to you through your word, by your spirit, and in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love this text that we come to today. Think about it, how this man's life was utterly transformed this day. Certainly, you've had days in which your life has changed forever. You think about the the day that your child was born. Or the day that you're married, right? You began the day single and you ended the day married. It was a a life-changing, transforming kind of day. Or the day of your conversion. Whether you remember it or not, you began the day going to hell. Condemned under the wrath of God. And, And by the end of the day, the blood of Christ had been applied to you. And you've been adopted and forgiven. But what a radically transforming day. And we see in this text... This man is changed physically and spiritually. He goes from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. He goes on the outside from being lame to walking and leaping and praising God. This day of total transformation. And we'll see a call to see, a call to faith, and a call to move. A call to see, a call to faith, and a call to move. Where are we in salvation history? Christ has died for our sins by this point. He was raised on the third day and then spent the next 40 days teaching and pouring into His disciples, preparing them for the ministry that He would do through them when He returns to heaven. 
He ascended 40 days after his resurrection, ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hands of God the Father Almighty, enthroned. And he told his disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem. And so 10 days later, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in fire and in power, not just upon the apostles, but upon every believer. And causing all those believers to begin speaking about the things of God in in known languages of of all the visitors who were in Jerusalem that day. What a great opportunity that Peter then takes as he preaches and proclaims to them, No, these fellows aren't drunk. In fact, you've been waiting for this day. And by the end of that day of Pentecost, over 3,000 people were transformed from spiritual death to spiritual life. Last week we looked at the spiritual hunger and the transformed lives that characterized that, that early, early church. And in that text we, we are told that the apostles were doing signs and wonders and that all and fear came upon all Jerusalem. Well, this morning we see an example of one of those wonders, of one of those signs. And an example that will lead to the healing of a lame man and his salvation. But but also, as we'll continue in the weeks ahead, this is going to give Peter another opportunity to preach. And by the end of this passage, there'll be 5,000 men who are Christians, not to mention women and children. But also, we will see the beginning of the persecution of Christians. But of all the examples that Luke could have chosen to recount, I mean, there are a lot of wonders, a lot of signs going on. Why did he choose this one? Well, it certainly leads to the standing before the Jerusalem authorities. But I really think there's another reason why he chose this one. See, it's important that this man, this man was lame, and that by the end of this passage, he walked. See, I think... I think Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses this example to show us that Christ's ministry continued even though Christ had returned to heaven according to his human nature. Right? They, there had to be questions of, okay, Jesus has returned. What now? See, he had told his disciples back in Matthew 28 that he would be with them even to the end of the age. But this was confirmation that this was true. This was confirmation that Christ's ministry would continue. Why do I say that? Because in the Old Testament, we read that when the Messiah comes, when the new Messianic age is inaugurated, the period between Christ's first and second coming, the time of Christ's special rule and reign from heaven on behalf of His church, that this time, the lame would walk. We see that in Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6. We read there, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Did did you hear that? That the lame would leap? And what goes on in our text? Do we think it's coincidence, really? That at the end of this text, we have this lame man leaping, walking and praising and leaping. Jesus' ministry would continue through the apostles, through the early church. And you know what? His ministry continues today. We need to think in terms of what Christ is doing in our midst, that it is His work that He is doing in the church through His appointed means, through the church, through the Word, 
through the Spirit. I mean, how else can we explain? How else can we explain the fact that that the church at this point, the New Testament people of God, that that it's about 3,000 people. And by the end of this, you know, 5,000 men. And now we are sitting in Bruton, Alabama, a, a place that's seen the French and the Spanish, the Native Americans who were here first, the English settlers. And here we are sitting as God's people worshiping God. It's almost like God was on the move. It's almost as if Christ was working through His church to get the gospel out. How else can we explain lives that are made new? How else can we explain that there's victory over sin? Christ, Christ continues to minister. Well, let's look at the details of our passage. We find Peter and John going up to the temple to pray at the evening hour of prayer, which was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, at this point, the followers of Christ are still connected to the Jewish community. And why not? Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, promised in the Jewish Scriptures. There is one people of God, Old Testament, New Testament, one people of God. And God had sent His Son to die for His people, whether they are from a Jewish background or for a Gentile background. And at this point, they are still welcomed in the temple courts, but soon that will end. Now, there were different gates that you could enter into into the temple courts, and one of them was called Beautiful. Commentators believe this refers to one particular gate known by another name, the Nekiner Gate, which was larger and more beautiful than the others. In fact, this gate was 75 feet high. Can you imagine? 75 feet high. And it was even more beautiful than the gates that were overlaid with gold and silver because it was made with burnished bronze. It shined in the sunlight. And people called it the beautiful gate. Uh, which one are you going through? Oh, you know, the one that's really beautiful. That's the one I'm going through. Now, in those days, if you were handicapped like this man, you were mainly consigned to a miserable life of being completely dependent on the generosity of others. If you had friends or family who cared for you, if you were that privileged, then they would carry you to a place where there was a lot of foot traffic. Like, like this place. Or remember we saw in Blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10 where uh, his friends lay him outside the gates of Jericho. We're introduced to a man who had been lame since birth. Not necessarily paralyzed, but didn't have the use of his legs for one reason or another. And we learn at the end of the next chapter that he is pretty old by their standards. Right? He's over 40. Now, that's not very old in our day, but it was pretty old back then. And for 40 years, he had never used his legs. But he had a divine appointment that day, didn't he? <clears throat> Have you ever had a divine appointment? You know what I mean by that? You know, you run into somebody at the store that you hadn't seen in forever, and it's only because you were late getting ready that day, or you were hindered at the light. You know, the person who, by the, is you're behind the person that actually stopped at the yellow light? Have you ever had a divine appointment? I remember um, we had one. Uh, July 7th, 2005, my family, we were in London, England. I had gone to England to work in a ministry there for the summer, and then my family flew over, and we spent a week in London. Now, my cousin was there with us, and, and, uh, and he didn't like to get out of bed. 
we were in London. It was time to go and look and see at all the cool stuff. And what did he do? He slept in. We could not get him out of bed. I was so angry. We're in London. We got to go see things. It took us like two hours to get him out of bed. But the reason I know it was July 7th, 2005, is because that was a day of the terror bombings in London. And see, one of the places that was hit was the exact place we were going to go through, King's Cross Tube Station. We could have been right there in the middle of the attack. But see, we had a divine appointment that was brought on by my cousin not getting out of bed. Well, this man has a, a divine appointment that from the outside, it looks like a bit of a coincidence. He, see, he's showing up at the exact time that Peter and John are coming into the temple courts. And this man's life is going to be transformed forever. Did he recognize Peter and John? Right? As a non-mobile resident of Jerusalem and someone who had been laid daily at the entrance to the temple, he could have heard Peter's sermon on Pentecost. He could have seen so many Christians gathering in the temple for instruction. You know, he, had he seen Jesus going through the same gate? Had he heard the teaching of Jesus as he was in the temple courts? You know, essentially, because if he had, he, he didn't have eyes to see. The reason we know that he's not a believer is because if he had been a believer, he wouldn't have been begging. Because remember last week we looked at how everybody was selling their goods to provide for those who are in need, who are believers of Christ. This is a man who begins the day not knowing Jesus. But by the end of the day, he will because he had this divine appointment. Here, first, we see a call to see. A call to see spiritually. Let me read verses 3 through 4 again. And... Either read along or listen for how many seeing verbs are involved in these two verses. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Did you, did you notice how many seeing verbs are here? In these two verses, five. How many times had this man seen Jesus with his eyes? Or how many times had he seen Peter and John? Yet spiritually, he was blind. 1 Corinthians 2.14 explains how this works. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This man didn't have that spiritual discernment to see and to, to know what was going on. This is what happens before we are believers. We are spiritually blind. But this lame man is being invited to see. But even as he is invited to see, he still expects to receive alms or small coins. But you know, soon he would receive something so much better. What happened next? Verse 6 tells us. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, Peter goes for broke here, doesn't he? This is not a, an isolated scene. He is in the middle of a choke point going into the temple at the hour of prayer. There are a lot of people around him. He doesn't say something that could, he could get out of if it doesn't work, right? He tells a man 
who has never walked in his 40 years of life to rise up and walk. There's no hedging of bets. But notice he's not pointing this man to himself. He's not looking to the crowd and saying, hey, look, everybody, look what I'm about to do. What does he say? He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one that all you guys crucified, it's in his name that I command you to get up and walk. Remember the ongoing ministry of Jesus in the early church? As it continued and now continues through us? And here he offers not just a call to see spiritually, but also a call to faith. A call to faith. There's a call to faith from Peter to the lame man here. And it's, it's not explicit in our text here. But if you have a Bible, look over to verse 16 of this same chapter. Because when Peter goes to explain what everybody has seen, he says this. In his name, Jesus' name. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter's going to give us in verse 16 the inside scoop right, on what has happened when he explains it to the crowds. While this man is going to be healed physically, the greater healing that is going on is within his heart. We see this marvelous act on the outside, but it mirrored the even greater act on the inside. This man might soon go from lame to walking, but he will also go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Well, thirdly, we see a call to movement. A call to movement. Look at verses 6, and, six through 9 with me. And here, not verbs of seeing, but notice the verbs of action that are used when talking to this man who cannot walk, who cannot move, who can give no action. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Nine verbs here are used to describe movement of a man who could not move. We'll get another one in verse 9. Let's talk about what just happened. This man has not used muscles in his legs in 40 years. In fact, he didn't really have any muscles in his legs. His joints are weak. His ligaments are not formed properly. Were his feet disfigured? Is is that what it calls his lameness? All that is corrected. He has no muscle memory to know how to walk because he's never walked. His legs would have looked weird because he didn't have muscles that would have been formed in early childhood. And then in an instant... In the moment in which his soul passed from death to life and bondage to victory, his feet and ankles were made strong. And he didn't just stand up. He leaped up. This wasn't some charlatan. If you ever see on on TBN or one of these places that have these false prophets, these false teachers, you'll see them often pretend to lengthen someone's leg. They'll go up to someone and say, your leg is not long enough. You've got one leg that's shorter than another, and it's causing you to have all the problems. You'll see that all the time. This is a very uh, very, um, popular thing. But, you know, charlatans have been doing that for years. Because if you sit somebody down and turn their hips just right, one leg is always shorter than the other. And you just pull it a little bit, and magically, it's okay. 
You see that a lot these days. This is not what's going on. This is a very public thing in which people know this man and that he has never walked. There are no wires holding him up. There's not a forklift in, in the back, you know, behind the, the, the woman levitating as the magician, you know, does his thing. This man is healed. And he's able to walk, having never done it before. What joy must have filled his heart as he leaped around, going in and out the gate, high-fiving everyone who was around, dancing a little jig, hooping and hollering. What a great day this was. His whole life had been changed. This man can now work and provide himself. Would he find a wife? Would he start a family in his older age? So there's this call to movement, but the greater movement is not the movement of his legs, as great as that is. The greater movement is the movement of his heart towards God. Notice what he does. What is is the first thing that he does? In leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Did he run home? Did he run to tell his friends? No. What did he do? He ran towards God, giving him the sacrifice of praise. Isn't it interesting that he begins this day outside the temple and ends this day inside the temple courts? The physical movement towards God and worship is mirrored in the movement of his tongue. He was praising God. And you know what? I bet this Presbyterian was pretty loud about it. I bet he might have said amen and preached it, brother. I mean, he was excited. No, he was responding to the grace of God with the praises of God. A great lesson for us all. Have you moved towards God lately? Have you moved towards God in praise and worship of, your name, of His name? Or has your heart, though healed and forgiven and redeemed as it might be, has it moved further away from God? Have the muscles of praise in your heart atrophied for lack of use? Well, remember, this is a pretty public place. In fact, this is the most public place in all of Jerusalem. And everybody knew who this was. If you're going to choose a guy to heal, this is a guy to choose because everybody knew who he was. We know that because of verses 9 through 10. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were filled with wonder and amazement, but they're not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not yet filled with faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of Christ. And that's next week. When Peter's going to stand up and explain to everyone what has just happened. And he's not going to take credit for himself. He's going he's to talk about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. How oh, this is the one who has caused this man to see. Who has caused this man to have faith. And has caused this man to move towards God. And soon at the end of that passage we will find 5,000 Men alone in the church in Jerusalem. Glory be to God. So we finish our sermon with a call to see, a call to faith, and a call to movement. Do you 
Do you have eyes to see in your heart? Have you seen Jesus with the eyes of your heart? In salvation, I sure hope you have. And if you are saved, do you desire to see Jesus more clearly as we come to Him and pursue Him? It's a call to renewed faith. See, this Jesus who has saved us, this Jesus in whom we believe, He's kind of like Aslan. You know what I'm talking about, right? And the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. He's not safe. See, He is God. And he, and he rules and reigns in our lives. And it is to Him that we owe our fealty and our fidelity and our service in our hearts. May your faith be strengthened. And it's a call to movement. You know, this man, having been saved, he moved towards God and he moved to public proclamation of God. He didn't keep it to himself. I mean, this talk about evangelism happening immediately after conversion. Evangelism really was part of his conversion experience. Are we seeking to move towards God daily? And are we seeking to encourage others to move towards God? that we might continue to see the ministry of Jesus go throughout His church, go throughout you and me. Because time is moving. Time is moving towards the day when Christ returns and the Messianic age is over. And the new heavens and the new earth are brought in. And at that point, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. So we pray, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. And so Lord, we call upon your name again. Give us eyes to see, to gaze more fondly and more clearly upon our Savior. Strengthen our faith. Grow us in your grace. Calls us to move towards you and to point others to do the same. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.